0: Well, my coming up. I thought we would do something a little bit different today. I want to teach you guys a song. Maybe not teach you guys. It's not a new song. It's an old song. It's only but a goodie. Sing with me if you know it. Ready? Okay. <clears throat> then God said to Noah, There's going to be a Freddy, Freddy. God said to Noah, There's going to be a Freddy, Freddy. Get those children. How are the mighty, mighty children of the heart? Good one. In case you couldn't guess, this, what happened to my slide? Okay. This week we're reading Parsha Noah. So this is an absolutely action-packed Parsha. It contains maybe the most well-known story in all of the Bible, the tale of the great flood and Noah's Ark. So Noah is probably the, most, the first real hero of the Bible, and certainly the first relatable character. You know, Adam and Eve, they weren't very relatable. You know, they didn't have, like, parents to mess them up or a childhood or anything. But but, but Noah, Noah we can get. So the Bible teaches us that in a world full of wickedness and sin, Noah alone was righteous. So that's high praise coming from God. So nowhere else in the Hebrew scriptures is any other person described as a A righteous man it says, "Noah we'll walk continually with God, and God chose him for this very important task of restarting the world. And as you can tell from that song, let's see, how close do I need to be? There it is. This is my spot. there. So as you can tell from that song, every child knows and loves this story. You can go on YouTube and you watch cartoons of it. You can go to a, the toy store. You can buy a little, little toy Ark and all these little happy animals. and You can get in your car. You can drive to Grant County, Kentucky and visit a Noah's Ark themed amusement park. It's probably fun. But I find this all kind of funny because if you were to strip away all these kid-friendly elements... This is what you're left with is a very scary and dark story and sad story. Yes, this is a story about God giving the world and humankind a second chance, but it's also the story about the catastrophic failure of mankind to be obedient to God and the devastating consequences our sin has on all of creation. Now, I was watching a video on Parsha and Noah earlier this week, and they called this a Parsha with so much action... It's easy to miss the plot. I think that's very true. I think sometimes we get so caught up with rainbows and boats and, and the cute animals going two by two that it's easy to miss some of the deeper, maybe less fun, but maybe more meaningful lessons that Noah can teach us. So you guys want to know something strange. Here's something that uh, most people don't know. Noah may be the first hero of the Bible but the ghazal, the, uh, the great rabbis and the sages of the Talmud, they have a lot of bad things to say about Noah. Bad things, huh? Noah They acknowledge that he's a tzaddik, a righteous person. No one can take that away from him. It's right there in Torah. But the sages do have a strange nickname for Noah. They call him a tzaddik in pelts, a righteous man in a fur coat, what does that mean? Why didn't they just call him that? Who was Noah really? And what can we learn from him today? So let's rise and shine and give God the glory of glory. Open our Bibles, Genesis 6 here, and let's learn about Noah today. So first question that comes to my mind, why did God choose Noah for this task? You know, we've kind of already talked about this. You know, Scripture tells us that Noah found grace and favor among God's eyes, because he was a righteous man. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that Noah was blameless among his generation. See, this is the first point of contention amongst the sages. You know, why doesn't the Bible just say that he was righteous? Torah kind of qualifies that statement by saying that, yes, Noah was a good guy compared to his neighbor's. And there's there's this big argument in Talmud about this. This is my theory. This is just a personal theory. You know how I said Noah was the first hero of the Bible? I think there were some rabbis out there who really wanted the first hero of the Bible to be a Jewish guy. So there's all these arguments in Talmud comparing Noah to Abraham. So some rabbis say that Noah was only righteous in this generation because everyone else in the world, you know, was was completely corrupt. They said if he had lived in the time of a great man like Abraham, he wouldn't have been anything special. And then there's the other camp that says it's a great accomplishment for Noah to be righteous in a wicked generation. It's how much greater is it to do good when the rest of the world says it's okay to be evil. Abraham, who lived in a much less hostile world, didn't have to overcome such challenges. So this is like Team Noah versus Team Abraham here. So Team Abraham says, well, Noah had the advantage of having really great ancestors. His grandfather was was Methuselah, who lived longer than any man in history. And his great-grandfather was Enoch, who God just took into heaven. Abraham, on the other hand, was born to an idol-maker, and he turned out all right. So it goes on like that, and you can read it in Rashi if you like. The thing is, Judaism seems to have fallen on the side of Abraham in this matter, of Noah's righteousness. So Rashi himself says, Noah required God's support to uphold him in righteousness, but Abraham strengthened himself and walked in his righteousness by himself. So the sages are telling us that Noah was a good man, but he wasn't a biblical superhero like Abraham was. But you know something? That's okay with me. Because I can relate to that because I'm not a superhero either. Who here needs God's support to uphold them in righteousness? Amen. Team Noah. All right. So if Noah wasn't a spiritual superstar, then why why did God choose him? Did God just throw up his hands and say, you know, well, beggars can't be choosers. I'll go with the least rotten apple. You know, I just listened to a, a sermon by a very famous preacher who shall go unnamed, but he stated as a fact That God chose Noah because Noah was literally the last man on earth. He said that every other human on earth was a Nephilim, a giant human-angel hybrid. You know, all all humans had been bred out by these angels to prevent the Messiah being born to the Son of Man. And Noah and his family were the last pure-blooded humans left. I'd scoff at this kind of a fun theory, you know, but I don't believe there was anything special about Noah's DNA. Righteousness. guys. Righteousness is not a hereditary trait. Every listen. Every wicked nation that built the Tower of Babel sprang from Noah's loins. One of Noah's own sons turned out to be a jerk. God didn't cho- choose Noah because he was a spiritual superstar, or because he had good genes. He didn't choose him because Noah knew how to build a sturdy ship. That would have been a good qualification. Because, maybe because animals liked him. See, God chose Noah. Because Noah possessed a quality that is rare and hard to find, even today. Noah knew how to listen to the voice of God. He knew how to listen. Not hear, listen. Anyone can hear God. Noah knew how to listen. You know what the most remarkable thing about Noah is? And Paul kind of alluded to this in his uh, book of legends in the whole biblical account of the flood, how many words does Noah say? The answer is zero. None. Look at the first meeting between God and Moses. Look, look at everything that Moses had to say. In their first conversation, Moses tries to shirk responsibility five times before God gets angry and like threatens to turn him into a pillar of salt or something. But not Noah. Noah doesn't say a word. He just does exactly what God asked him to do, and that's a lesson we can take with us. Are we willing to listen to God the way Noah did? When God tells us to do something that's way out of our comfort zone, like I never built a boat before, I don't even like animals. Tell me that, like, if, we've done, if he wants us to do something that we've never done before, will we argue with him again and again and again and again, or will we do exactly what he asks of us? Noah is special on that account. He has a lesson in faith and obedience that goes beyond conventional reason. Nothing about what Noah told, God told Noah made any sense. He, it never even rained before. This is what some people don't realize. That like, rain was not a thing in the ancient world before the flood. Noah did not even know what a flood was. God never told Noah how he was supposed to get all those animals into the ark. You know, until the, day, until the week of it happening, Noah probably expected he was to have to go out there with like a net and a tranquilizer gun and get them all himself. Must have been a giant relief to him. How many of us would have the commitment to, to... Okay, here's the thing. Noah took 120 years to build that ark. How many of us would have the commitment to stay that difficult course for literally centuries? Listen, I know people have to switch their jobs every two years where they get bored. Noah spends 120 years building his ark... Getting himself ready because he trusts God and he knows how to listen. And because he does, the world gets saved. And that's where the story we tell our kids typically ends. That's not where the story of Noah actually ends, is it? See, it would have been nice if this story wrapped up after God sends a sign of the rainbow, and then God sent the rainbow, the end. But after that, we have this very strange an uncomfortable episode of Noah getting drunk. It's very, it's very jarring. We go from one of the most epic and cinematic and happy stories in all the Bible to maybe the most mundane and sordid. So Noah plants a vineyard and grows some grapes that he uses to make wine. One day he gets drunk and winds up falling asleep, and he falls asleep naked. So his son, Ham, mocks him, and calls his brothers to come and laugh at their father. But they have some decency, and they cover Noah with a blanket. It's, it's a very unexpected way to end such a big story. Noah ends this tale not as the righteous and triumphant hero who saved the world through his obedience. He, want, he ends the story drunk and naked with one son mocking him, and the other is too ashamed to even look at him. Why this humiliating downfall? Noah did what he was supposed to do, right? Why is he so sad and depressed that he's drowning his sorrows? See, maybe it's because Noah didn't do everything he was supposed to do. Maybe Noah realizes that he could have done much more. Maybe it has something to do with why the sages call Noah a Sodic pelts, a righteous man in a fur coat. See the story of the Sodic Impelts, the rabbis explain. That when it's winter, imagine this, it's winter, it's freezing cold. And there are two things that you can do when it's that cold out. You can build a fire, or you can wrap yourself in a fur coat. In both cases, you're warm. You're going to be nice and warm in there. But when you build a fire, all those who gather around will also be warmed. With the fur coat, the only one who's warm is you. I just gave this big argument about how Noah listened to God and and what a great thing it was. But maybe Noah's greatest strength was also his greatest weakness. Throughout the whole story, Noah is silent, he does what he's told. But God doesn't want silent, mindless, obedient slaves. He's got angels for that if he wants those. When God speaks to Adam, Adam speaks back. It was Cain, who's not the greatest guy in the Bible. When God speaks to Cain, Cain speaks back. When God speaks to Noah, Noah says nothing. But what if Noah had said something? What if he had gone out to his neighbors and engaged them, tried to teach them about God? What if he had rebuked them and taught them what they they were doing was wrong? What if he had shown them how to change their ways and start a new life that was pleasing to God? What if he had prayed for them and questioned the justice of the flood as Abraham did for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Maybe, just maybe, God might have changed his mind. Maybe. But we'll never know, because Noah says nothing. He busies himself with the work. It takes Noah 120 years to build the ark. And when he and his family get on, they get on by themselves. In 120 years... Noah didn't influence a single person around him. See, Noah's strength was that in a wicked world, he could be unaffected by it. But he did that by isolating himself and hiding his light under a basket. When God told him the winter was coming, Noah didn't build a fire. He put on a fur coat. And you cannot survive while the rest of the world drowns and still survive. And Noah realizes this when he gets off his ark and he saw the empty, devastated world around him and he knew that he could have done more. See, Noah's story is both triumphant and cautionary. Noah obeyed God, but his ark turned into a wall that he could hide behind. Noah's story and his sad ending warns us that we cannot only build arks for ourselves. Yeshua did not give us the option of saving only ourselves while the rest of the world drowns. Mark chapter 16, he tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yeshua doesn't tell them, save yourselves. Go hide in the cave until the day of judgment. He gives them a message that is the very opposite of Noah. I am not here to destroy our creation. I am here to rescue it, and I need your help to do it. Unfortunately for team Noah... Jewish tradition has judged him unfavorably. He doesn't seem like such a sodic when compared to Abraham. When God delivered a sentence of judgment to Noah, Noah was silent. When God declared that he would destroy the cities of the plain to Abraham, he begged Abraham begged God to spare them. But you see, the story of compassion doesn't just end there. Just as what Abraham did was greater than Noah, Moses goes on to do an even greater thing than Abraham. So when God declares that he's going to destroy Israel after the sin of the golden calf. Moses says to God, if you kill them, then kill me as well. But the story doesn't end there either because Yeshua does something greater than even Moses. When all of creation stood in judgment, just as it was in the days of Noah, when sin had turned all hearts to evil, all the time, Yeshua stood in between us and judgment and said, don't kill them. Take me instead. We can't be content to simply be righteous in our generation. We can't be content to be just better than average. We can't be content to save ourselves while the rest of the world drowns. We are called to follow a higher example than that. Today, we have to step out of our arcs. We have to find what our arcs are, and we step out of them. Take off our fur coats and start building our fires. Shabbat shalom, everyone.